Acts 13, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. Well, today we uh, mark our 15-year anniversary, as you have probably noticed by now, and I'm just so grateful. And before we even get into some important introductions that I do need to make, uh, I just want to thank everyone in this church, especially if you're here and you serve in any capacity in this ministry here at Metro Community Church. I know there are dozens of people serving right now as we speak in our children's ministry, youth ministry, you name it. Uh, Frontline, the sound people. I just want to thank you for just believing in what God has called this church to be, which is a church's transform- transformation, and for serving the way you do. It really, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank you for that. Um, there's some real notable people that I do need to thank uh, for, uh, for this day. There, we started this church with about 11 people. And uh, we didn't have people in this church when we started. We didn't have money. We certainly didn't have even a, a location. We met in a little apartment in Hackensack. All we had was faith. Amen. And at the end, that's really all we needed. That's all we needed as a church. But there were some key people that really allowed us to be who we are today, uh, that believed in the vision of this church even before we started. And uh, I cannot uh, go on and, and, and even preach today unless I give thanks to some of these people. I call it the original three. My, uh, the three best people that I could ever plant a church with, uh, church with uh, is Evan, Shirley, and Ju Hong. Uh, these were the three key people that believed in our church even before... It even started. And Evan, I remember just calling him when I was my first year in seminary. God gave me the vision, just checking in on him. I know he got into a bad bike accident. So just trying to check in, see how he's doing. And I just, I just started asking him about church, how's church. And then we just started talking about Metro. And I just said, I'd love for you to think about maybe joining the team. And we talked for hours. And he just said, I need about a week to pray about this. He called me the next day and he says, I'm in. I couldn't believe it. And of course, along came with him was definitely Pastor Shirley, his fiancée, soon-to-be wife. And Pastor Shirley has been literally my partner in crime. I mean, we've been serving on the staff together for the past 15 years. And uh, when we started, we had only one person at Metro Kids. And that was my daughter, Christina, 15 years ago. We have that picture, Tim, that picture with Christina and Pastor Shirley. It was an old picture there. Look at Christina. Seven, just a little baby. She's about two years old. And it's Pastor Shirley. And she treated Christina and, and just and created this culture where she loved being a part of it. And then soon before you knew it, churches blew up. And many of you know that if you have kids and Metro kids, you know that much of where Metro is today is because of this woman's leadership. And so let's give it up for Pastor Shirley. I don't know if she's here, but um, let's give it up for her. And... Um, she has since uh, handed over the ministry of Metro Kids and she is now starting, she started and continues to minister to our special needs ministry. She is the pastor of Metro Special Needs Ministry and she is the perfect person to do it. Uh, Ju Hong, uh, I know she's coming later on to the, uh, to the partner's celebration. I don't know if she's here, but Ju Hong was with me in California. She was in my Bible study. I was sharing with our group about what's gonna happen to this church and uh, this church plant, and then one day she just says, hey, would you be open to me maybe moving with you to New Jersey to start this church? And I'm thinking, what? You would want to move from California to New Jersey to help me start this thing? She said, yeah. And I said, I would love to. And you know, we attended this workshop, this was in Detroit about 2002, and uh, we were learning on how to build a church, and it was like a a three-day training kind of a thing, and you know, Evan is a very bold, kind of a direct guy, and I I remember as we were learning some things, he just kind of pulled me aside in front of the group, he goes, hey man, um, can you preach? (laughs) I said, I don't know, I've never preached before, and he just looked at me like, what? I said, I think God will hopefully show me, and I hope it'll, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. And I just remember, just, I, just, I just could only imagine him thinking, oh, no, what am I getting myself into? But uh, just so grateful. Uh, there was another person, a part of our 11, is my brother-in-law, Juan. Some of you know him. He always wears shorts, even in the wintertime, and he comes to church. And uh, Juan joined our team of 11, not because he believed in our vision, it's because he felt so bad for me, because the team was so small. You know, he was an atheist, didn't believe in God, and he said to me, basically, he said, listen, because we're so, you're so, the church is so small, I'll stick around till, you, till the church gets to about 50 And once it gets to 50, he said, I'm out of here, right? Because I don't believe in God. There's no reason for me to be at church, but because you're family, I'll help out. And so he did, and uh, he stayed, and he's still here even to this day. And one of my great joys is really leading one 
to Jesus Christ. He called me one day and said, hey, I need to get together with you. And so I met up with him. It was a rainy day. We met up in Powell Park in a big parking lot. And he just said, could you just share with me, how do I become a Christian? How do I do this? And so I led him in the prayer time, a sinner's prayer, and baptized him about a year later at a, at a church retreat that we had. Still one of the highlights of my ministry. He met his wife here at this church. They have three beautiful children, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, Dan Kim, Dan Kim started, the, uh, he was with us right after, I think like our second preview service, just kind of decided to come. And uh, I still remember he was wearing a decked out three-piece suit and uh, came to church. And, uh, you know, when I met up with him, we had a meal once, and he just said to me, he says, you know, I don't know what I can offer this church. What do I, what, what can I do? What can I offer Metro Community Church? And I said to him, I said, you can offer us your pain. If you can offer us your pain, you really have a place here. And so he's been here ever since. He's still here, he's right there in the back. He was in the choir today, grateful for Dan, believing in the vision of this church, being with us from the very beginning. Uh, Mike and Lisa Hong, uh, they came literally on uh, April 4th of 2004. There they are. I, I think I was baptizing Christian. Christian now is tall. He's got bushy hair. He's in high school, but he was a little baby. And they came and listened, and they wanted to be a part of this. And they're still there. Mike's over there to my left. And I'm so grateful for him and his wife to be a part of this church for that long. Grateful for Mike. And Anthony Coppola, I don't know if he's here, but I grew up with Anthony. I met him in the fifth grade. And when I came back, I said, hey, I'm going to start this church. Uh, we would love to have you be a part of it. I know you grew up Catholic, but I think this could be a good place for you. And I said, would you be open to it? And he's been a part of our church ever since. And we're so grateful to all of these people that have still stuck around and they're a part of Metro Community Church. And the person that I got to thank the most is definitely my wife, Jenny. Uh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. Nobody has put up with me more than her. And I, I put on my social media today because I wanted to give her the honor that she deserves. I said that, she, you know, don't be fooled because she's vertically challenged. She's a bit short. But I said she's a giant in many other ways. In the areas where it really counts, her patience, her acceptance, and her support um, really made all the difference in the world. I've learned so many lessons over the past 15 years. I really have as a church. Uh, I've learned some lessons through some moments of triumph, I think, that we've experienced as a community where God always reminds me that when one person says yes to Christ for the very first time on a Sunday worship service, I, I am to never take that for granted. Amen. That that is a life that has been changed in the cosmos for all eternity and that I must always be grateful and thankful and have a posture of humility when that happens. I've learned some great lessons from just some hardships in my own life. And I've made a lot of mistakes as a pastor here, if you're a first-time visitor. Uh, a lot of mistakes. And the first six years of our church plant, I had such an issue with low self-esteem. I had such an issue with uh, a sense of insecurity as a pastor. I didn't think I could really do this. And so for me, uh, my greatest temptation that I struggled with wasn't necessarily the things that I was lusting after. My greatest temptation that I was struggling with was that I wanted people to lust after me. Now, you know how sometimes people uh, want men and women to lust after them? You know how sometimes we get like that physically? I didn't want a physical lusting. I wanted people to spiritually lust after me. I wanted to be invited to speak at different places, wanted to write books. I just wanted the affirmation of everyone so that it can prove, so I can prove to myself that I can do this. And that almost killed me because my, you know, my wife uh, was a single mother for about six years. I was hardly ever home, traveled twice a month on a plane, and I got to such a place of unhealthiness that luckily I had a great elder board where they gave me a mandatory sabbatical. And on that sabbatical, I picked up the most important book that would change my life. And you guys know the book. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, written by Pete Scazzaro. My wife and I spent about two days with Pete and Jerry this week. We just had a fantastic time with them. Grateful for them in our lives. But that book allowed me to explore the iceberg that's underneath, below the surface of my life. You know, you only see 10% of me when I'm up here. You really do. But emotionally after spirituality allowed me to sort of dive into the 90% that nobody sees, the ugliness, the, the insecurities, the darkness to my humanity that I, I often never allow God, God to enter into. And that just changed my life forever. And I'm so grateful for those deep lessons that I've learned through some of my pains and my failures. But the greatest lesson that I've learned over the past 15 years has been something that's been a game changer. And EHS has helped with that. It has impacted every area of my life as a pastor, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, and as a friend. And the greatest lesson that I've learned over the past 15 years is this lesson on intimacy. That the intimacy is the greatest human need, but yet so many of us in this room, we live in starvation of it. 
It's such an anemic reality for a lot of us in this room. You long for it. You want intimacy in some capacity. You're looking for it, but you've gotten hurt along the way, whether it was in your marriage, that you've tried to pursue intimacy with your spouse, and you know that intimacy is so much more than just sex. You realize that there needs to be a deeper connection and you just don't know how to get there. And because you've been hurt over the years, you've sort of given up on this reality that you can ever be intimate with this person that you took a vow with in a church before you and God. And it's been so hard because of it. Maybe you thought you could have intimacy with some people that you called your friends and you put yourself out there. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they started dating an ex of yours. And as a result of that, you just said, no more. I'm not ever going to put myself out there. I'm not going to get close to anyone because it's hurt me so much. Maybe you've tried to pursue friendship and intimacy with people in this church. And perhaps maybe it hasn't happened for you. And for that, I am truly, truly sorry for that. And I hope that you would not give up on this pursuit of intimacy because this is really the heartbeat of our church Some of you maybe thought that you could pursue intimacy with God and maybe at one point you thought it could really happen but perhaps over time now, is it dry? Is your relationship with God just kind of dry and you're just kind of struggling with that reality? You know what happens when we don't live in intimacy because God created us for that. He created us for intimacy. When we don't live in intimacy in any kind of relationships in our life, we begin to allow fear to be the greatest authority and idol in our lives and everything we do, so much of what we do in life is based upon our fears. We say yes to things we don't even want to say yes to because we're afraid that maybe we'll get rejected if we say no. We're afraid of pursuing certain relationships again because we've been so hurt by it. And so because of that fear, we just say, you know what, I'm just going to sort of keep my space between everyone else and I'm not going to get close to anyone anymore. I get it. If you grew up in a home where you were beaten by your father or your mother and you've had some experiences with abuse at any level, I understand how fragile life can be and how fear governs every aspect of your life. Because you just don't know if you could ever overcome that big monster of what fear has done to you in your life. And maybe you've been hurt by God. Maybe you've been so disappointed by God and you're so afraid to embrace intimacy with him because you have been so disappointed. One of the best verses is found in Genesis 2.25. It says there that Adam and Eve were both naked and not afraid. They were naked and now not afraid. My hope today is as we continue in our series in Acts, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us how you and I can be naked and not afraid. What that really looks like, what it really means, because intimacy, Metro Community Church, it's about you being fully known. It's about you not living your life with any secrets, that you allow somebody to be a part of your world where you invite them to be a part of the darkest areas to your humanity. See, you may not think you need this, but today, if you walk out of here thinking that you're not going to need it, then I feel bad for you. And I know, now you know why the world is so depressed. Now you know why the world doesn't know what to do because of their depression, because they're so starving for this thing that they were created for, and that's intimacy. We cannot be intimate with others if we're not first intimate with God. And so Paul's going to teach us how you and I can be naked and not afraid, how we can be completely vulnerable and be free to be just who we are and not allow fear to prevent us from doing that. How do we do that? Turn with, uh, before we get started, before we get started, we have a long passage to look through, but before we get started, we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, we come to you today and we ask that you would just speak to us, Lord. I I believe so many of us in this room are, are struggling with intimacy. We don't really know how to live into that. And so God, we hide behind our beautiful smiles. We hide behind the pretend, being pretending that life is better than it really is. We've made all the money we've ever wanted to for some of us in this room. For some of us, maybe we haven't. Our dreams have been dashed to pieces because of some failures we've experienced. But Lord, so many of us in this room, we're struggling to experience what intimacy can be in our lives. And so today, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and God, that we would be able to receive this passage of scripture to unlock perhaps maybe uh, a lock that's been chained on to something of fear, a failure that has prevented us from pursuing deep intimacy with you and with others. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, 
Amen. All right. So before we get started, I just want you to know that uh, this passage, just setting it up a little bit, Paul is in, is in Pisidian. He's in Antioch. And in, Pis- in Pisidia, uh, it was an important civil, sort of a military center. And, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas were kind of well known in Antioch. And so as they traveled to the city in Antioch, uh, they were in a synagogue worshiping God. They usually read the laws and they read some of the prophets. And because their reputation preceded them, uh, the leaders, the Pharisees, asked them, Do you have anything to share? And Paul takes full advantage of it. He takes full advantage of it, and then he opens up and he starts sharing with them, really, how God desires intimacy with us. And so, how can we live in greater intimacy with God? Here's the first thing. I just have two thoughts for you today. The first thought is this. We live in intimacy with God when we can embrace God's pursuit of us. You embrace, if you live in intimacy with God when you can embrace God's pursuit of you. All right? God's pursuit of you. Look at verse 15. It's a long passage. Stay with me. We've got 15 verses here. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of the country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judge until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them, a, then he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow Christians, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfill the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. God pursued the people of God throughout the generations. Paul, what he was trying to help the people of God to see in the synagogue and these Gentile God-fearers is that he wanted them to see that God had pursued them over the generations, that he had done, that he was in a relationship with them, that he pursued, and he wanted to be in this intimate relationship with them. And what you need to know today is simply this, God pursues you. God pursues you, not so that you can do certain things for him, but he pursues you primarily for intimacy. Let that sink into your heart a little bit, not just your mind, all right? That some of you think that God is pursuing you because he wants you to do certain things for him in his kingdom. Now, I'm not doubting that necessarily, but that's not the end of why God is pursuing you. The reason, the primary reason why God pursues you and me is because he's pursuing you for intimacy, amen? That's it. He wants to pursue intimacy with you. He wants you to be at a place where you can be fully vulnerable before him, where you could be fully known, where you could be naked and not afraid in front of God, that he wants you to get to that place. And now a lot of us here, we grew up in the church and we constantly associate certain things or works to the things of God. And we oftentimes determine sort of our likeness or God liking us based upon what we do for him. We have to sort of throw that to the side and you have to know this powerful truth today. God is pursuing you today because he longs to be intimate with you. He's not pursuing you because he wants you to do certain things for his kingdom. And I'm not saying that's not important, but what I am saying what's more important and what's more primary here is that God is choosing you for intimacy today. You see, when Paul was sharing this, he was sharing the the intimacy, the pursuit that God was pursuing amongst the people of God, and it all climaxed at Jesus Christ. God pursued that intimacy at such a level that he gave up his son. He made the greatest sacrifice. He suffered the greatest by giving up his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can be intimate with him. 
Think about that for a moment. A couple weeks ago, my daughter is 17 now, so she's looking to go to college. So she and I have been doing a college tour. Uh, a couple Mondays ago, we went to my alma mater. I went to Montclair State University. And uh, we got in the car, and we were driving. I was kind of excited to spend the day with her. And uh, we toured the campus. We met with the admissions office. They kind of took us around, gave us a two-and-a-half-hour tour. I graduated back in 1996. And so the university has changed completely since then. And I was just so amazed was really blown away by how much the university has grown and changed in so many ways. And just deep down, I was hoping that maybe she'd want to go to the school come fall of September. And when I asked her later on, I said, hey, you want to you go to Montclair? She said, no, probably not, Dad. I thought, oh, <laughs> all right, fine, fine. But you know, as we were heading to the, uh, to the school, only about 30 minutes from our house, um, I started to get a headache. And I've learned from years past that if, uh, if I get a little bit of a headache, if I take two Advils, it will usually go away pretty quickly. Um, and I always carry a bottle of Advil in my bag. I always carry a bottle of Advil in my, in my car. And, uh, and whenever I feel it, I would pop those two Advils in my mouth and I'd be fine. Um, I didn't have my car with me. I didn't have my bag with me. I drove my wife's car. And so as I was Heading at the school, I start to feel the headache. As we were doing this, we walked for two and a half hours. It was a lot. And I, I said, I was just drinking as much fluids as I can. I'll try to deal with this. Headache got pretty bad. And uh, my daughter and I have been talking about doing this sort of this college day thing and, uh, at Montclair. And we were hoping that afterwards, she and I can go to the movies and watch Five Feet Apart together. Five Feet Apart is a very romantic film. Highly recommend you to go watch it if you have not, especially if you're married. It's a great date night movie. Um, and so while we, were, while we were finishing up the tour, my head was hurting so much that uh, I, I thought to myself, should I just tell her, let's just, you know, can't postpone and go another time? I know she would understand, right? But then I thought to myself, I said, but when will we go again? And I don't know how many more times my 17-year-old daughter is going to want to watch a romantic film with her old man, right? <laughs> I mean, she's 17. If she finds a boyfriend, you think she's going to want to go watch a romantic film with her dad? Of course not, right? So I just said, you know what? I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to go to the theater. I don't care how much my head hurts. We're going to go. We're going to watch this movie together. And so we did. She cried almost the entire time, right? I cried as well in the movie. And I normally don't really cry in movies, but the movie is about intimacy. You got to check it out. It's such a good movie. It's such a great picture of, of, of the human longing for intimacy, right? And so we watched it. And afterwards, like my head was just pounding. It was, it was a full-blown migraine. And uh, I, got my, I got in the car, and um, I was trying to show her that I was okay and trying to, you know, maintain a cool poker face, but that it was just pounding. I was sweating because I was in so much pain, and I just couldn't wait to get home. And I finally got home. I popped four Advils, and uh, I went to the room. I just said, hey, honey, I, said, honey I, just, I just need some time. I need, I need to try to rest, get this thing uh, taken care of. And between, uh, you know, because one of the symptoms of a migraine is... Um, Nause, nause, no, being nauseous. I went back and forth to the toilet three times during that hour, hour and a half. And finally at the third time, I was able to sleep for a little bit. And about 90 minutes into it, I woke up and I felt much better. And I just thought, while I was in that pain on the toilet, just trying to throw up, I just said, I shouldn't have gone. I should have just stayed home. I knew Christina would understand. But once I was better and about an hour and a half passed, she came into the room and she just said, are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, I feel better now. She said, okay. She goes, dad, thanks, I had a great time. And I just thought, it was worth it. <laughs> I gladly go through another migraine to hear my 17-year-old daughter say, I had a great time today, right? It was worth it, really it was. And I just said, I don't know how many more times I'm gonna have moments like this with my 17-year-old daughter where I can go watch a movie with her, where I can spend the day with her, we could hang out, and then she can just say, dad, I had a great time today. That opportunity of Forming a deeper, intimate relationship with my daughter was so great, and it was worth going through a migraine headache to experience it. And it's just a small little microcosm of what God has done for you. That God has sent Jesus Christ into this world, his beloved son, to come to die for us on the cross, resurrect from the dead. He suffered greatly. Why? So that he can invite you to be intimate with him. Now, how can we do that? How can we be intimate with God? How can we do it? There's only really one way. We can be intimate with God when we are vulnerable with God through a person. That's it. If you want to be intimate with God, if you want to be intimate with him, you have to learn to be vulnerable 
with God through a person, a person, just one person. It doesn't have to be a lot, just one person, somebody that you trust, all right? Why is that so significant? Because theologically, when you think about it, Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, he said, I promise you I will be there. So if Jesus promises that he will be present when two or more are gathered in his name, and you want to experience that kind of intimacy with God, then it has to be in the presence of someone else. And if you want to go deep into God, you, and if you want to be fully known before God, and if you want to get to a place where you get to know God even in deeper ways, it has to be where you, where you are open to being vulnerable, where you are willing to share the darkest areas to your humanity with a person in this world that are willing to journey with you and they will share their darkest areas to their humanity with you. It is somebody from the same sex. Now, I, I, I've coined a phrase or, or a word. I've termed a, a term in sort of who this person is. You guys know what that is? It's a who, it's a what? A soulmate, a soulmate. It's not your spouse, although your spouse plays a big role, but if you are serious about getting intimate with God, you have to ask and pray and say, God, could you bring at least one person, if you're a guy, one man into my life whom I can trust at some levels and who I could be completely honest and vulnerable with. If you do that, it will be a game changer, I promise you. That you confess the darkest areas to your humanity, everything about you, your thoughts, all those things. Because at the end of the day, listen, you ain't perfect. You can hide behind that beautiful smile. You can know all the scriptures. You can always tell people you're doing great every time they ask you how you're doing. But the reality is you're broken just like me. And you're going to go, th- as you go through ebbs and flow of life, as you experience some hardships in your life, you're going to realize there's going to come a moment in your life where life is not that great. Yeah. And every time you tell somebody everything is great, you're going to feel like there's a piece of your heart just dying every time. Because when you and I just live a life of a lie, it just destroys, it sucks the life out of us. It's like a vacuum that just sucks the life out of us. And you got to find some people in your life where you can do battle with, where you can share your heart with, that's going to hold you up and it's going to challenge you as well. You're never more holy. You're never more grace-filled when you do that. So if you're serious about getting intimate with God, it doesn't happen unless you're willing to be vulnerable with a person, with one person. Now, I know it's hard. I know there's a risk. Well, suppose they go and tell the world some of my sins. It's worth the risk. Even if it backfires on you, it's worth the risk because when it works out, it will transform your life. You will see God in in a whole different dimension. And the best part is you're gonna be able to live your life knowing that you have no secrets because you're fully known. And that's such a deep spiritual practice that so many of us are not practicing today. And uh, I hope that you would really take advantage of it. Three years ago, my father passed away. Many of you know if you've been a part of our church. And I'd waited, uh, I'd been praying that God would call him home because for two years his Parkinson's disease had gotten so aggressive he could barely walk. So he was confined to a wheelchair, lived in a nursing home for eight years. I was ready for him to be called home so that he could be with God. My father and I had a bit of a tumultuous relationship in the beginning um, of my life. Uh, he struggled with alcohol, was very physically abusive towards my mother, my sisters and I. And so relationship was broken at growing up at best when we were growing up. He was an intimate stranger in my own home. Was afraid of him, didn't want to go near him. We were able to reconcile over the years and I was so grateful that um, you know, I loved him the best I could. But when I was standing at the cemetery holding this picture just of him, I just thought to myself, um, did he really know how much I loved him? Because I'm sure he felt guilty about how he treated us in the past. Did he really know how much I cared for him and loved him? I thought about that. It was hard. I, I was shocked how hard it was for me. And I was hoping to sort of spend a season of grieving, but um, it was really hard for me to do that because directly right after he passed away, our church, we started to, um, uh, we started to experience sort of a, a, a small exodus of people just kind of leaving the church. About 50 people left the church. Some of them were some leaders that I loved and cared for. And one of the reasons why they left was simply because we were talking so much about racial reconciliation. It was a big topic in three years ago, especially in America, still is today. Um, and, uh, and that really upset a group of our people and some of our people, and they decided to leave our church. And they all kind of left within a six-month span. And it was really difficult. So here I was trying to get over my father's death, and yet now I was dealing with this reality, and it really kind of put me in a real dark place, a real dark place for two years. Two years, it took, put me in a dark place where I had never been more angry in my life. 
I had never cursed so much in my life. Uh, maybe not outwardly, but more internally, like just, you know, in, in your mind. You're just kind of saying it, not really out loud, but you're saying it in your heart. Um, angry at just people. Um, uh, road rage was there big time. I never struggled with lust more than I've ever struggled during that season of my life. It was a dark place, guys. It really was a very dark place for me. And um, I, uh, I wouldn't have been able to get out of it if it wasn't for um, my friend Jeff. During that time, uh, you know, as people were leaving, uh, there was even a Google review of me. And somebody gave me like a, a, a one star. You know, uh, you could rate Metro, if you Google Metro Community Church, you can rate the church. And it was a one star. Somebody told me about it. I laughed, I chuckled because I got a one star and then he wrote some terrible things about me. I knew who it was too. But it's okay, he left the church. He left it shouting. And, uh, you know, initially I just kind of said, ah, that's so funny, that's so funny. Ah. That's crazy, don't worry, I don't believe in that stuff, nah. And I started thinking about it, and I started thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's some truth to what he says. And my friend Jeff, uh, that dude, that Chinese dude saved me, man. Um, he's the only guy that I just meet with regularly, and he lives out in LA, he's a detective for the LAPD, and I would just share all the dark areas to my humanity. And, um, you know, he's a detective, so he investigated my sins a lot. Every time I confessed it, he said, well, let's just talk about this. Where were you? Did you get enough sleep? Were you tired? Like, he just, at one point, I was like, Jeff, stop investigating my sins, man. Just listen to me. All right? Just say I'm forgiven. All right? Stop inv- it's like this long investigative process. But I went to L.A. Um, a couple years ago, and we were hanging out. And this is when we were in Cancun hanging out, Cancun, Mexico together. But I started sharing some other stuff with him, and he just looked at me in the eye and he said, bro, you have to be careful. You're going to lose everything if you keep going down this road. You're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your church, you're going to lose everything. And I so appreciated that. I felt that that was a shake I needed. And he kind of helped me through this whole process, and I'm able to be here today really because of this man. Why? Because I have shared every dark thought desire that I've had in my life and he's been able to hold me when I, and he's been able to keep me strong when I had no strength at all. You see, Metro, the very ministry philosophy of our church and one of the reasons why we started this thing 15 years ago is simply we find our commonality as a church not in our strengths but it's always in our weaknesses because we believe in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 when Paul says, when, when Jesus says to Paul, it's only in your weakness can my strength be perfected in you. And so, because I think a lot of us, we come in here, I hope you're just exhausted of being strong at work all the time. You're probably exhausted being strong even at home. You're exhausted from being strong with your friends and things like that. And hopefully as you come in here, this could be a place, a refuge where you can just be weak and you can tap into the very strength of God in your life and in my life. I hope that God speaks to you in that way. And what I've learned over the years at, uh, since that season of my life, the darkest season of my life was the, one of the greatest gifts in my life. You know what I learned? I learned that obeying God sometimes really sucks. That it's not fun. Sometimes we come up here and we talk about obeying God is the way to go. Everything's going to be great. I learned how hard it was, and I didn't want to obey God. There was a moment where I just wanted to just kind of let out, just let my emotions get the best of me, and just kind of live the life that I just wanted to live. Why couldn't I do that? Because I've lived my life to the best I can with God. Why can't I just go astray for just a little moment in time? Why couldn't I do that for once in my life? And I've learned over time that if it wasn't for this guy, Jeff, that he held me, he's like, no, you can't go there. I would have went there if he didn't hold me back. And I'm telling you right now, there's no way you can do this thing called Christianity alone. There's no way you can be intimate with God by yourself. You need some people in your life because there's going to come a moment in life where you hit a dark time in your life, a dark period, and you're just going to want to walk away from your faith in God because things just hurt that much for you. And if you're a guy like me, sometimes we can't even admit that we're hurting. And so for us, we just, we just try to be macho about it. We try, to, we try to masculate it a little bit and just say, hey, you know what, we're just, we're just disinterested in it. That's always going to walk away. But deep down, we're hurting. And the only way you can be real is when you can actually open your heart and be real with someone today. That's how you embrace and welcome God's pursuit of you for intimacy. And so will you. Because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And sometimes you just need some people in your lives to tell you that and challenge you.
and believe that you can do better. The last thing that we learn here and how we can be intimate with God, and it's one of the most important truths that allows us to be who we can be, to be weak in front of others, is that we embrace, when we embrace our justification through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we can embrace our justification through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 38, Paul literally rocks the world of these people in the synagogue when he says this. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to attain under the law of Moses. Think about this for a moment. When the only thing you grew up learning about how you can be forgiven of your sins is by following the old Mosaic laws, the Jewish people, and even these God-fearer Gentiles, they, they, were, they, they were under the impression that based upon what they do, how they live their lives, and what they don't do and abstain from will determine if they receive forgiveness from God. That was the Mosaic laws. And what Paul is saying, that's no longer the case anymore. You receive forgiveness of your sins, not based upon what you do, but based upon what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection of Jesus Christ. That because of that, you are justified. Justified means that you are righteous in God's eyes. It has the same Greek root word, justification. And righteousness has the same Greek word. That when God sees you and you say you believe in Jesus Christ, this might be one of the most radical thoughts that you, you're going to walk away here with today because you grew up in a church where everything was so legalistic, where you were taught that in order for God to accept you and forgive you, you got to do all these things. Penance, 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 penance. Confess your sins. you got to do all these different things. And the greatest thing that you can walk away here with today is knowing simply this, that when God sees you and you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, he doesn't see the sins, the bad things, or the good things that you do. All he sees is Jesus Christ in you. And because of that, because of that, you and I can stand tall and we can pursue an intimate relation with him. Because of that, Metro, because of that, you can share your brokenness with someone else. Why? Because you don't find your identity in what you don't do well. You find your identity in being righteous in God's eyes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and just say to them, you look so righteous today. Come on, it's our anniversary. Say it with conviction. You all look so righteous today. Please, don't let that be a license to go and sin now. <laughs> Humans, we evil, man. We look for those. Because, you know, when I had that dark period, my father passed away, I thought, well, you know, God will forgive me if I do these things. It's a, you know, it happens. He'll forgive me because theologically I'm at, on point. He will. But we don't realize what it could take a toll on us. Just because God can forgive you, the people that you end up hurting may not. Amen. And the reality is you may not be able to forgive yourself, which is the worst. And so many of you today are living in the circumstances you're living in today because you can't forgive yourself. And that's such a tragedy. I find that people who are able to be intimate with God are the ones who are able to be the most vulnerable and open. They're not afraid to be naked. And they're not afraid with a few people that they have entrusted in their lives today. The people who I find that judge a lot, people who I know that criticize people a lot, I find like those are the ones who struggle the most with intimacy with God because they don't know they're righteous before God. They live in shame, and as a result of them living in the shame of what they've done, that they often project the sins of others to a different place, and they criticize, and they're so judgmental. And when you think about it, how could we be judgmental? How could we criticize in that way if we know we've been forgiven by God the way we have been forgiven? It's really amazing, isn't it? You're righteous in God's eyes. You've been justified because Christ has come and died for you on the cross and resurrected from the dead. And so when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus living inside of you. Don't be your own worst enemy. Embrace who you are before him. In March of 2011, uh, we had uh, this pastor, Ed Salas, come to our church. He's a pastor out at New Song in California. And Ed is like this amazing pastor who has taught other pastors around the world on um, inner healing. He came and did a whole workshop uh, for our pastors and our leaders and all day Saturday, we spent an entire day doing this workshop. He came earlier on and met up with different people, some of our leaders, um, trying to help them to experience inner healing. Every I, I'd let him take my office and 
every time people came out of the office, I mean, they were just crying. I mean, they were just bawling. And I'm just thinking, man, what's going on in there? Like, wow. It's just powerful stuff, right? Every person, even guys coming out, like, just really eyes are swollen from crying so much. I just thought, wow, something major is happening. And he kept saying to me, he said, hey, Peter, uh, I would love to do a session with you. I said, Ed, it's okay. I don't need it. I, I'm good with everyone. I don't need to forgive no one. I've forgiven everyone in my life. I'm cool. He said, but I would still like to do a session. I said, okay, well, if we get to it, we'll do it. And, uh, you know, Sunday, uh, he preached two services. I'm a full day. I knew he was tired. And I just said, Ed, let's go to New York City and let's hang out. Let's go have some fun, right? And he said, well, before we do that, I'd still love to have that session with you. <laughs> I said, come on, Ed. I said, I don't need that session. He said, let's just, let's just see what happens. I said, all right, well, listen, it'll be about 30 minutes max, I think. We we'll still go into the city and have fun, okay? He said, sure. So we went to my office. It was Sunday later in the afternoon. Nobody was there. So, you know, went to my office. And he sits down and he whips out this legal pad and he starts taking notes. And I start sharing with him some stuff. And he says, let's go through this forgiveness prayer thing. And I said, all right. And I was like, okay, let's see. I was like, but I've forgiven everyone. And I started thinking about some of the people who wronged me over the years. And I realized I hadn't forgiven them. That all this feeling started to come up again. And I realized that you really haven't forgiven people in your life if you don't want them to be blessed by God. That's how you know you've forgiven someone is if you want God to bless them. When you don't want God to bless them, you still want maybe like a car to fall on them. Uh, you probably have not forgiven them, all right? Probably have not forgiven them. And so I just realized I had actually quite a few people that I didn't want God to bless. And so start working through that. And it was like an hour and a half. I'm like, oh my God. And I even know what time it was. And then he says, uh, is there anyone else you've got to forgive, Peter? And he's got such a gentle voice. And I said, hmm. I said, yeah. I think I need to be forgiven. That I need to forgive myself. And it was one of the most nerve-wracking moments for me because I'd share with him sins that I'd never share with anyone. See, my soulmates, I've only shared with them sins that were like present tense sins. I never shared past tense sins when I was growing up as a kid. Sins that I was experiencing as a high school student, working in a company for four years before I went into ministry. Those sins I never really shared. It was that dark place where nobody would ever know those things that I've done. And I brought all of that stuff out and I started asking God to forgive me. And after I finished, Ed said, hey, um, I think God wants to tell you something. Can you listen? I said, okay. And I listened. And you know what God said to me? He said, Peter, you never disappointed me. Not once. And when he said that, I couldn't stop crying. And I said, that's not true. There's no way I did not disappoint you, God. I've Look at all the sins I just confessed. And I just couldn't believe it. I just started weeping. I said, how could that be? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And then I just said, hey, Peter, close your eyes. God wants to show you something. And I just closed my eyes. And God showed me this thing that I had somebody in our church, a professional painter, paint. I call it Peter's heaven. Can you show it, Tim? That's the painting. And so this is my heaven. I have a picture of this hanging on my wall in my office and in my home. She made me two. And basically, I saw this beautiful lush. You don't necessarily, the, the, the painting doesn't do it justice, but it was just all, all I saw was green. There was so much life. Green is a symbol of life. I saw a rainbow and a waterfall uh, further away from me. And, I, and that's Jesus, and that's me, and, and, and the grass. I mean, the grass was so long, and it was like, it was so soft. I if you know me, you know I hate walking barefoot outside. My feet are so sensitive, but like, my feet felt like it was being massaged as I was walking on that, on that grass, and it just felt so amazing. It was just a crazy feeling. And, and you might find that this might be crazy, but Jesus and I were like rolling around together in the grass and just playing and having a good time, and it was just amazing. And then at the end, it culminated with this. Jesus takes off his purple robe and he gives, me, gives it to me. He takes off his crown and he gives me his crown. And he gives me a scepter and he says, you need to know from this day forward that you are truly a royal child of God. Lead this church knowing who you are. Stop struggling with your own insecurities. You are now the royal child of God. 
I never forgot that. And I remember just after everything was over, I was in the car with Ed, and I just said, Ed, do you really think God said that he was never disappointed with you? Do you think it was maybe me? He said, no. God said it, and if God said it, you have to believe it. You know, I look at our church, we're 15 years in, and you know, Pastor Kevin shared with me last week that we finally hit the $700,000 mark for our building campaign. So we got about 1.8, 1.9 more to go or something like that before we reach our 2.6 million goal that was pledged a year ago. I guess that's great. You know, Liberty School, we're talking with the city, things are happening, good things, you know, nothing really conclusive happens yet, but good things are happening, all these things, and we can talk about that all we want, but Metro Community Church, if we can't come together, and if the reason why we come together isn't, if the reason why we come together isn't the fact that we can be vulnerable and broken before each other, and that's the reason why we lock arms together as a church, if we come together just for a building, if we come together just because we think God's going to call us to do great things here in Englewood, it's not a reason why we should be here. You need to know that there was never a day you disappointed God. Never. And you can't get there if you don't have an intimate relationship with him. You can't get there unless you're willing to be vulnerable and honest about the darkest areas to your humanity because you're not that great. And the only way you're going to know how great God is when you know you're not and when you could depend upon a God who is great. If we can't do that as a church, we don't deserve to be here anymore. And so on this 15-year anniversary, will we lock arms and will we say to God that we will trust in you and we will pursue you with intimacy, and that's it. And we'll embrace our justification that was given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we'll never try to do anything to earn God's love because we can't. And that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of how broken we are, that God will use us in ways that we never thought we could because we are becoming better and better at being a good lover. And the only way we can do that is if we're naked and we're not afraid. And so today, on our 15th year anniversary, anniversary, will you be naked and not afraid? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. That's the choice you have to make today. Will you be willing to be vulnerable? Will you be leaning on your weaknesses so that Christ's strength can be perfected in you? I'm going to give you just a brief moment because we're running a little late, a brief moment right now to connect with God because maybe you haven't heard a sermon like this in a while, but it's okay. If something's happening in your heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit. It's God pursuing you so hard. And he wants you to open the door of your heart so that he can enter in. You've never disappointed him. Not one day, not one moment. And so why not go to your father, be broken before him, and receive his love? I'm going to give you a few moments to do that, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. this is such an upside down theology because we grew up in the church being taught that we got to obey you if not you're going to get angry and you're not going to forgive us of our sins we're going to lose our salvation and we have this picture of such an angry God a God that's so angry with us because we're not doing things right I think for a lot of us that picture is because we've oftentimes pictured our earthly parents like that maybe and we feel like we're just never enough And so I pray for anyone in this room, God, where they live under the tyranny of what they do and what they don't do. I pray you would release them from that and they would be able to receive and welcome the justification that you've given to them through Jesus Christ. That they are righteous in your eyes. That they've never disappointed you in their life, in your lifetime. 
God, be with us as a church. We thank you for your 15 years of faithfulness. But God, we can't continue to be a church of transformation if we don't live this out in our own lives. We could build a nice building. We could do great things for the city and help a lot of people. But God will just be a hollow shell. Our soul will be gone. So would you help all of us that call this Metro Community Church their home to be people where we would pursue intimacy with you, that we would let nothing get in the way of that, and that we would do hard, the best we can, to be honest and transparent with at least one person in our lives, that we can share the darkest areas of our humanity with. And as a result of that, may we receive the fullness of your grace and mercy upon our, upon our life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Can you please flip over your communication card? There's some next steps I'd love for you to take. The first one on your communication card, if you open up your app, is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that before and you want to do that, just check that off and we'd love to get back to you. Put this in the offering basket as it comes uh, later on and then go to the next table and one of our pastors will be there to pray with you, all right? Second, I will pray and be proactive about finding a soulmate. Pray about it if you don't have one. Pray and be proactive about finding a soulmate, somebody that you can trust, all right? Third, I will attend Holy Week services at 6 a.m. from April 15th to the 19th. You know at Metro, we do Holy Week services. Uh, it's 6 a.m., one hour, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. It'll be at Joy Christian Fellowship. Address and information is in your bulletin. Fourth, I will invite three people to Metro's Easter celebration service on April 21st. You should have received three of these cards. Even if you didn't take a bulletin, somebody should have handed you three of these cards. If they didn't hand it to you, you can go out at the welcome table and these cards should be there. You can grab some. Invite three people. Don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation, how God can transform somebody's life through it. All right, so make sure you invite somebody to our Revolution Easter service. Um, last, I will attend Metro camp. Uh, with Pastor Kevin Butcher on June 23rd or 28th. Be a part of the best week you do with your family, if you have kids, or if you just go alone. Um, Pastor Kevin will be there fully willing to serve and pour into your life. And this man is a man of love. This man is a man of intimacy. And uh, it would be a great opportunity. If you're interested, check that off. We'll get back to you this week. 